You are listening to a message by Refuge Community Church. Refuge exists to glorify God by making disciples that shape their communities with the love of Jesus. How's everybody doing this morning? All right, that was good. That was good. If you're as emotional as me, then uh, that was enough. That was good for today, all right? Uh, Hey, well, I am uh, happy to be here with you today. Um, As we mentioned, sorry, y'all, I'm gathering my thoughts. I got a little overly emotional, and then now it's kind of like flustered off, and then it kind of flustered out of my mind, you know? So gather my thoughts. Today, we're going to be continuing our time in worship uh, by continuing our sermon series entitled Pursuit of the Wind, and it's in the book of Ecclesiastes. Now, uh, how many of y'all have been enjoying the book of Ecclesiastes? All right, good. I will say, and I've said this multiple weeks now, Ecclesiastes has been like a heavyweight contender, you know, heavyweight match, right? Heavyweight boxing match, just blows going for the dome over and over and over and over again. And it's been powerful. It's left me really stuck in a lot of ways, sometimes mourning things or aspects of my life. And it's also left me really hopeful at times. And so today we're going to be continuing in that, though, as we've thought about so many different things. We've thought about power. We've thought about money. We've thought about time. Uh, And today we're going to be focusing on another aspect that Kohelet, the author of Ecclesiastes, is going to get into. And that's the idea of wisdom. Wisdom. Real quick with me, just say wisdom. Wisdom. Yeah, okay. Um, Now here's the thing. The moment I say that, for some of us, we kind of become like, why are you going to, I mean, like, does this apply to me? Because here's the thing. A lot of us think that we're unwise. A lot of us sitting here right now think, well, I don't know that much, or I don't, I don't think deeply about this or about that. And, and then there's another side of this room that thinks, bro, I'm super wise, right? Like, so there's another end of the spectrum that's like, dude, I'm the wisest person you've ever met in your life, dude. Um, and, and so in this, the reason it's so important as we go into this idea of wisdom is because Kohelet's going to meet us in this place where he brings out this idea of wisdom and then invites us to see that no matter what end of the spectrum you're on, whether you think you're the wisest person, whether you think you have nothing to offer in the area of wisdom, wisdom is actually still active in your life. But here's the thing. Just because it's active doesn't always mean it's good. What does that mean? It means that in addition to letting us know, uh, Kohelet, letting us know, the author of Ecclesiastes, uh, that wisdom is active and at work in our lives, he's also going to let us know, hey, that doesn't mean that's a good thing. Right? That doesn't mean it's a good thing. What do I mean? And Well, let me, let me summarize it in a sentence here. If we were going to take one thing away from today, and, and, and we were going to take Kohelet's wisdom, right, the book of Ecclesiastes, whose author's name is Kohelet, by the way. So if you hear me say this over and over again, you're like, Pam, what, what, what is that word right there? That starts, are you saying QAnon, right? No, I'm just kidding, just kidding. Um, if, you, if you say, hey, who's Kohelet? It's the author of Ecclesiastes. If we were going to summarize Kohelet's wisdom for today, it would be in this statement, that wisdom is good. Wisdom is good, but wisdom by itself is a burden. Wisdom is good. It's good, but wisdom by itself is a burden, okay? And the way we're going to explore this is we're going to tease out, I think, three kind of little nuggets that Kohelet gives us regarding wisdom from this text. The first one is we're going to take a look at wisdom's invitation. Now, what does that mean? That kind of sounds a little abstract. I got a little poetic there, forgive me. But what I mean is, like, what is wisdom inviting us to do when we actually partake in this idea of wisdom? The second thing is going to be wisdom's consequences. What, what are the consequences of wisdom in our life? Right, and, and the thing is, we're going to tackle kind of, again, a spectrum there, because it's not all going to be good, but it's also not all going to be bad. And then we're going to talk about wisdom's proper place in our life. 
right? If, if wisdom is, is involved in every one of our lives, which it is, we all are partakers in wisdom, and wisdom can be a good thing, can also be a bad thing. It can be a good thing, can also be a burden. What is wisdom's proper place for us then, right? In our lives, where should, what place should wisdom have in our lives? And that's what we're going to go ahead and break down, and we're going to work through Ecclesiastes to get there. But first, we're going to start with this idea of wisdom's invitation. Now, you may be expecting me at this moment to go ahead and jump into the Bible. In fact, I was, I'm so in the habit of jumping into the Bible at this point that I started walking to my Bible. But before we get over there to the Scriptures, we have to start breaking down this idea first of what are we talking about when we talk about wisdom. Because here's the thing. When I say wisdom, what do you think of? Not a rhetorical one. I'd love to hear you. Smart. Say it again. Knowledge. Okay. Let's do like two more. Experience. That's a good one. I'm sorry. You're going to have to say that a little bit. Mixed with decisions. That's great. I think all those were correct. And the reason for that uh, is not because wisdom has no definition, (laughs) but rather because the ancient definition of wisdom isn't talking about this kind of sage wisdom that we sometimes have this idea of. Right? Oftentimes when we use a word like wisdom, we kind of picture this weird idea of like, a monastic that's kind of like a monk figure, right, that's like somewhere in the mountain. And in that mountain, they're just like sitting alone by themselves, raptured into their their thoughts and these philosophical ideas. And then they come down, and even if they haven't lived a shred of life, because they've been locked in the mountain for like their entire life, they come down and say, Nice little aphorism, right? Nice little, nice little nugget of a speech. They give you a little, a little nugget, and then you're just like, dang. Right? But But that's not really what Kohelet's talking about here. And so that's a part of the reason why when you hear the word wisdom, you think to yourself, oh, you mean like like sage wisdom, right? Like I got to be locked thinking about the philosophy of the day and the past and the future to to have something to to put into this conversation. And Kohelet would say, no, that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about, and this is actually really perfect, really long lines of what Misty said a second ago. It's the idea of knowing things and using that knowledge to try and figure things out. That's kind of the the idea that Kohelet uses when he presents the idea of wisdom. Knowing things, that's knowledge, right? Like learning about something, and then from there, using that knowledge to try and figure things out. And you may be thinking to yourself, like, oh, what does that look like? And the thing is, you do it all the time. You do it all the time, from the smallest things in life to the biggest things in life. Let me ask you a question. You're laying in bed, 1245 in the morning. You're upstairs. Downstairs, you hear, what do you do? Yeah, no, the first, first thing is you get, a, you get the baseball bat, 100%. No, no, but the second thing, you, want, you go to find out what it, what it is. What is it? Why do you want to know what it is? No, I'm not, not rhetorical. Why do you want to know what that sound is? So you can offend yourself, right? This is kind of like the, the idea of wisdom at work for someone like Ohelet. Something happens, you gain a knowledge of what that thing is. What is that sound downstairs? What made it? so that you can do something about it, figure it out, and actually have a plan of action for it, right? And so all of a sudden, you want to figure out what's going on downstairs uh, so that you can actually have a plan to either defend yourself or maybe a water, like how many of us have had this situation, right, where you have the scariest thought and you come downstairs and it's like your dog that messed something up, or, and you think to yourself after that, we got to figure out what to do with the dog, or, or maybe a water pipe busts and you think, oh, we got to call a plumber in the morning. See, that's kind of like the wisdom, right? And we do it in the most basic way, but we also do it in the most dynamic and, and large-scale ways. Uh, let, me, let me give you a couple of examples here. You do it in this way of saying, what was the bump in the night? But you also do it in a way where all of a sudden, uh, in the news right now, one of the big subjects 
is uh, the, the inquiry into the January 6th riots at uh, the White House and the Capitol, I mean. Um, so now, what do we do? What happens, right? Well, here's the reality. I know all of you. I know that none of you were there that day. Uh, thank God. Um, but all of a sudden, this desire for wisdom, this active wisdom that's going on, this, this idea of gaining wisdom and trying to find some way to use that in order to make a good decision comes in when we some, see something like on the news, like this inquiry into January 6th. We all go in and we all start reading articles from our desired uh, source, right? Maybe you're a CNN person, maybe you're a Fox News person, maybe you're an NPR person, maybe you're a whatever the other side's version of NPR is. Um, and, and all of a sudden, you start getting all this information so that what? So that you can come out into the world and go, well, I think. And all of a sudden, right? In the same way you wanted to learn what the bump in the night was so that you could make a decision, you wanted to find out some information about January 6th so you could therefore present your idea of what the best thing would be. Maybe you think, oh man, like our, our government and our government officials are completely innocent of the act of the people. Maybe you think, oh, our government officials are completely guilty. They, they should be held accountable. No matter what it is though, I guarantee you, you didn't just pop up one day and think, I think this about that situation. That didn't happen. You went and found information and you put it into your life. And here's the thing. Here's why Kohelet paints this idea of wisdom with a bit of cynicism, with a bit of that idea that we've talked about, Hevel, this vapor that you can, can seem or think you're going to grab and think it's going to be substantive, but at the end of the day, what ends up happening, it feels like it didn't have anything to it. Because I guarantee you, uh, any of you that actually did that thing that I just said, right, did that thing where you, you said, okay, uh, he, here are all the ideas that I've amassed, and here's my opinion of it. What happened after that? Nothing. It's, it's still going on. And at best, the, the thing that happened was that you presented your ideas, someone else, maybe close, you had a different opinion, you got into a fight, and now you don't talk. And, and therefore is the reason Kohela would look and be like, that looks like hevel to me, bro. Let's give you another example, right? And I'm going to use something that's a, a little bit more touchy here, but I, I'm not trying to use it... Um, misuse it or handle it lightly. An idea like the shootings in Uvalde, we're still gathering information about that. And every little thing that happens, we come in and say, man, this adds another layer to my opinion. And all the things happening, you're getting this idea, you're gathering information, and you're using it to try and what? To try and form an opinion, to make a decision, to choose how you're going to see things, to try and figure out the world, to figure out the situation and figure out how you feel about it. And here's the thing, again, why Kohelet would see it as an extent, again, to an extent to be hevel, because what's happened with that one? It's kind of, again, all broken down into what? Man, well, I think this is about guns. Well, I think this is about this. And all of a sudden, again, you've developed an opinion, you've put it out there, and somehow the same thing has happened again. You and a family member got into discussion you said guns kill people, or you said people kill people, and then the other person said, no, the opposite of that. And then you started all over again, and now you don't talk to that person for another couple of weeks. And this is a part of the reason why Kohelet looks at this idea of gathering information and making a decision to, be, to have this element of heaven in it, where it's like you think you're going to gain something from this, but in reality, man, it can actually be hurtful. It can actually be a burden. But, but again, here's the thing. That doesn't, that doesn't mean that it, it doesn't exist. It doesn't mean that we can't engage in it. It doesn't mean that we don't participate in it because we do. We all do. No one, no one in here, in the Bible, would look at you and say, you should never look at your newsfeed again. 
Why? Because that's, that's ridiculous, right? The world testifies about who God is in one way or the other. But the thing is, what Kohelet is describing is this idea that if I can gain wisdom and figure out something, then I will have what I need. There's, there's, this, there's this sustaining or satisfying element of, of, of knowing what's happening. And it may be that, that I feel myself wise, or it may be that I've secured myself in the world by knowing what I should avoid and knowing what we should do. But, but here's the thing. He would look at that and be like, man, there's some hevel in this. It, it, again, it's not all bad. Wisdom is good, but wisdom alone is a burden. And that's what we want to look at now, right? So now that we've established, this is what we're talking about. We're talking about wisdom as this form of gathering information and then making decisions. Now we're going to go to the text and take a look at wisdom's consequences. Because if you remember what I said, I said that wisdom isn't bad, but rather wisdom is good. Wisdom is good, but, but by itself, wisdom is a burden. And so what we want to do real quick is we're going to look at the consequences of wisdom. And I want to start with positive, right? There are good consequences to wisdom meaning there are times where someone tells you something good and wise, and it's helpful for your life, right? That's what the whole beginning part of chapter 7 is. The first 13 verses of chapter 7, if you notice in your Bible, and if you have a paper Bible and you're holy, that's what I'm talking about, uh, or if you look at your phone, that's fine. But if you notice, right, your, your Bible, the, the way verses 1 through 13 in chapter 7 are written out, they look different. They're formatted very weirdly. You know why that is? because they're Proverbs. They're, they're little tidbits of wisdom that Kohelet is saying here. This is a type of writing that gives you instruction, and all the instruction is based in the idea of giving you wisdom, right? In, in verse 2, he says, it is better to go to a house of mourning than to a house of feasting, since that is the end of all mankind, and all the living should take it to heart. That's incredible, incredible advice. That's wisdom, to look at life and say, it would be better for me to visit the house of mourning than a house of feasting. Because if I can grasp the reality that my days on this earth are numbered and I have to use my life wisely and it, it'll stick with me if I go there. If I go to the house of feasting, I'll eat, get fat, enjoy myself, go home and just think about the next day instead of numbering my days. That's good wisdom. You jump down to something like verse 5, it is better to listen to rebuke from a wise person than to listen to the song of fools. That's good wisdom. That's helpful for you. I hope you take this and you apply it to your life because that's a good thing, right? To know that I would rather in my life listen to the rebuke of someone that's wise, someone that's looking at me and saying, hey, brother, sister, I see you. I see what your intention is with doing this thing. I see what you hope is going to happen. I'm letting you know your heart. I'm not sure if it's in the right place. You want to check this. You want to check that. I know that you have all these passions and you have this vision for your life. Why are you pursuing those things, right? Or whatever the case is, insert your thing, right? A wise person will probably pick up stuff in your life that you're not thinking about. And so if it feels like you got blindsided, it's probably because you did. It's probably because you did. You know why? Because it's probably that they saw something you didn't. And that doesn't mean you have to take it to the bank. But it does mean that it's better to hear, right, the rebuke of a wise person and to navigate it and say, man, does this apply to me? Then it is to hear a fool say, you're the best. That's incredible. Oh, you should do that. Oh, man, that's amazing. Why? Because, I mean, what if you're making the complete wrong choice? <laughs> but the song of fools can lead to your, lead to your hurt. And so that's wisdom right there. And Proverbs are that. They're kind of these, 
utilizations of wisdom to help guide your life. That's what the whole book of Proverbs is about. And so the fact that Kohelet is literally giving you wisdom in the first 13 verses there clearly indicates that he likes wisdom. He's not opposed to wisdom. That's good wisdom. And when wisdom is done well, when wisdom is given in a way that helps guide, that, that, that structures things well, man, that's a good wisdom. That's the way wisdom should be used. But the thing is, wisdom also has negative consequences. It also has bad uses, hurtful or potentially burdensome uses. And you can really find that as we go down. Um, you know what? I had one more on the, on the good consequence thing, but I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. Running out of time. If you want that one, email your boy. All right. But it also has negative consequences, right? Um, you look down at chapter 7, verse 25. I turned my thoughts to know explore and examine wisdom and an explanation for things and to know that wickedness is stupidity and folly is madness. Why is that important? You're probably like, that doesn't sound that bad. I turned my thoughts to know, explore, and examine wisdom and an explanation for things. Here's where all of a sudden we're going to get to see wisdom in a little bit negative light. Because oftentimes what wisdom looks like when it's, when it's kind of just like gathered up to ourselves, we're kind of using it inappropriately at times and, and kind of like hoarding it and relying on it, is it looks like that. And an explanation for things. And an explanation for things. This idea that I'm going to pursue wisdom so that I can explain everything. So I can find the cause and the reason for everything. So that if you ask me, why did this happen in your life? You'll be able to look back and say, well, this is why. And maybe it's, maybe it's not supernatural, but rather like just, just a regular practical thing. I made this decision and this happened. And so now, because I've managed to figure all that out, I'll never make this decision again and I'll never get this bad experience again. So maybe it speaks to a sense of security for you. Or, or maybe it's this element that, that rather than being very practical is rather very supernatural. Right, is this idea of like, man, I, I want to know why God would do something like this. Why God would, would do this, why he would allow that for this person, that person, or, or this and that and the third, or, or maybe even for myself in my life. Why would X, Y, and Z happen? And I will not stop, I will not rest until I have an answer, because my pursuit for wisdom has led me to the place of saying, I want an explanation for everything. I want it for everything. And here's the thing. In our world, that sounds like I'm telling you something crazy. Because it's like, man, we should have a reason for everything. But that's because we're products of something called the Enlightenment. Say the Enlightenment. No, I'm going to say that. Never mind, never mind. Um, the Enlightenment was just this radical new way of seeing the world that happened right around the time America got started. Many people would say America is really like a child of the Enlightenment. And it was this idea that we want to be able to, to, to understand everything and to be able to, to, to measure everything. And that's the way we think. But when this was written... When this was written, there was a bit more of comfort with the idea of maybe you won't be able to explain that. And so Kohelet doesn't see this as a standard part of life. He doesn't see the idea of you being able to explain everything in your life as something you're entitled to, but rather something you would be blessed to find if you found it. And that's why he speaks of it in this way when he... When later down, he kind of he gives us these consequences for this idea that if you spend your whole life just trying to find an explanation for what's happening or what has happened to you, one of two things is probably going to happen. One, you're going to go mad. 
you're going to go crazy. Why? Because you're never going to find it. <laughs> I don't mean to discourage you. I don't mean to frustrate you. I'm really sorry if you came wanting to hear something different than that and for someone to come up here and be like, I can tell you all the reasons why anything has ever happened to you. And here's going to make you completely have no reason to have faith in God, but you're going to know everything and it's going to be great. You're not going to find that. You're not going to find that. And there's a host of reasons for that, reasons that I would love to explore with you if, 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 you, if you feel like you need to have that conversation. But one reality that, that Kohelet is getting at here is that if you spend all your time focused on this, you'll go crazy because you'll never find it. It'll be a catch-22, a circle of, of inquiries that never stops. And it leaves you frustrated and bitter and angry. That's the end of that one. But, but then there's also this other reality, right, that, that if you focus on an explanation and you believe you get it, that may be even worse. Because if you think that Actually, you know what? Let's do this. Let's do this. I gotta find where I left off. If you go to chapter eight, chapter eight, another layer for this gets added by Kohelet in this really powerful way when you get down in chapter eight. In chapter eight, verse six, he says, For every activity, there is a right time. Uh, and procedure, even though a person's troubles are heavy on him. Yet no one knows what will happen because who can tell him what will happen? No one has authority over the wind to restrain it, and there is no authority over the day of death. No one is discharged during battle, and wickedness will not allow those who practice it to escape. All I have seen, all this I have seen, applying my mind to all the work that is done under the sun at a time when one person has authority over another uh, to his harm. I'm not going to lie to you. That was the verse after I was trying to read. So <laughs> uh, what we're going to do is we're going to go back up real fast to um, where are we here? 29. Twenty nine says only see this. I have discovered that God made people upright, but they pursued many schemes. Now, is that up here? If it's up here, I want to just stop for a second. Uh, if it's not, that's fine. Even this idea. Listen to me that 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 the idea of that you could figure something out when God has actually given humanity and made them right. But the thing is, we've decided to, in our own action, pursue several different schemes. This idea of develop several different networks, several different ideas, several different pursuits. Even right now, when I said something like, maybe your desire to pursue wisdom is rooted in security or rooted in influence or rooted in power. How could I look at you right now and say, here's why you do it? I can't. Why? Because your heart has its own schemes. It's made its own way. It's forged its own path. It's pursuing what you feel like you need. And here's the thing. If you, as someone that's seeking after wisdom and wants an explanation for things, starts to try and look at everyone and say, I'll figure out what everyone is doing and why everyone is doing it and how everything works, it's gonna go, you're going to go crazy, first off. But in addition, it's going to develop this sense of bitterness. Why? Because here's the thing, if you're unlucky enough, and I want you to hear me, if you are unlucky enough to reach the point where you believe you've actually found that reason, every room you walk in, you will walk into it insulting and assuming and presuming upon every single person that's in that room. Why? Because you will think you know their heart better than they do in every room you walk into. 
Every single room you walk into, you will presume you know their heart, their intentions, their actions, their ideas, their desires, their visions more than they do. And there is a 100, hear me and look at me, 100% chance that you are going to presume falsely, that you are going to presume negatively, that you are going to presume wrongly. And what you presume to be true, what you presume to be right, will in fact not be what you, what's actually happening in their hearts. And the correction that you provide, the instruction that you provide, the care that you provide will be received by somebody who looks at you and go, man, that person has no idea what they're talking about. On the best end, but on the worst end, will be perceived as that person is a total jerk. Why? Because they just thought they knew everything about me and they didn't know anything about me. They looked at me and said, I just feel like you're doing this to me because of X, Y, and Z. I feel like you said this because you were feeling like X, Y, and Z. I think that you kind of made this decision out of this type of desire. I think that you actually were doing X, Y, and Z. And, and I think that you thought you were gonna hurt me. And I feel like you see me this way and, and really I'm not this way. And all the while on the other side, the person that you're talking to is looking at you going, I don't feel that way about you at all. I don't see you that way at all. I didn't do that for that reason. I didn't mean to upset you. And all of a sudden, because that, that false sense of wisdom that you think you have keeps festering, along with it begins to, to begin like, like festering this bitterness between you and another person. Again, wisdom, hevel. This is why Kohel is making these connections. And this is why in the verse he says something like, in pursuing it, I found that it was far from me. In, 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 in thinking that I myself could attain it, could have it, right? In, in thinking that, I actually found myself nowhere near wisdom. And so these are the consequences of pursuing wisdom. This is why wisdom is good. Again, when someone gives you good wisdom and it has a great impact on your life, that's powerful. That's amazing. But wisdom is a burden. Why? Because if it's by itself, if you just think that, that having wisdom to know someone's intentions, having wisdom to, to figure out life, having wisdom to know the next step, it will inevitably become a burden on you because you will end up hurting other people thinking you know what they do before they do it. You will end up not moving because you will never know the next step to take. You will end up uh, hurt and, and even lost and, and kind of just like, man, I, I really can never reach the end of this onion because I keep on figuring out new schemes alone. It's a burden. It's a burden. It's weighty. It's heavy. It stings. All right, let me, let me be real with you. We're done with the hard part now. Okay, all right. I've done been laying the groundwork for the hard part for about, I got a timer right there, for about almost 20 minutes now, roughly at about 18 minutes here. And uh, I, 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 we're, there's going to be a respite here, okay? All right, going to be a respite. Because having understood that, there are consequences to wisdom, right? That, meaning like this is how it impacts our life. On the best side, we have a good idea. It instructs us well. On the worst side, right, we pursue it to, to try and presume or assume that we can figure everything out for X, Y, and Z reasons. It ends up becoming a burden and hurtful. What do we, where do we go from here then? Where do we go from here? What is wisdom's proper place, right? If wisdom's proper place is not to figure out everything going on in life, if wisdom's proper place is not to figure out everything going on in another person, if wisdom's proper place is not to provide me security, 
if wisdom's proper place is not to provide me something that I can use in order to help guide other people, if wisdom's proper place is not something that I can use in order to hold over another person, and I can keep going here, but I'll stop there. Y'all probably got the point now. What is wisdom's proper place then? What is wisdom's proper place? Y'all gonna be like, man, this is a super pastor move. But here's the thing. I truly do believe, and I want you to just hear me, hear my heart. It's not, I'm not trying to Jesus juke you in any shape, form, or fashion. I will explain my reasoning here in a second. I truly do believe that wisdom's place is found in the context of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. If it's not found in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, friend, wisdom will be a burden to you. You will never know a satisfying feeling from that pursuit. You will never reach the end of that pursuit. It will burden you, it will hurt you, it will hurt others until it finds its proper place in the context, meaning like, like colored and, and, and given meaning by the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Why? Why? Well, let's just start with some of the things we talked about. I wanna reach and, and know why something has happened. Why something has happened. I can't tell you why it's happened. God, why did you allow this? And let me, let me tell you this, the end of that question, that question isn't rooted in curiosity. I want you to hear what I said there. The question, God, why did you allow this to happen is never rooted in sheer curiosity. It's never rooted in, I'm just doing an exploration of what being God would be like, and I happen to wanna to know why God would do this in this situation so that I can take it into account when I'm God. That's not what, that's not what we're doing. We ask the question, God, why would you let this happen? Because of one of two questions is probably spurring up in our heart. Do, are you good? Are you good? Do you love me? The question, why would you let this happen? Why did this happen? Why is this happening to me? Is not rooted in just sheer curiosity. Rather, it is rooted in two questions. Are you good? Do you love me? And here's the thing. Divorced from the person, life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, that is a scary question. That is a scary question. I think that question is alive in a lot of the Old Testament passages that sometimes leave us a little bit shook. Because they were sometimes asking some of the same stuff. They were out there like, man, God, we, we had this promised land. Now you've taken us to Babylon. Now these people are conquering us. Now Rome is here. And it's like... Are you, are you good? Do you love us? Right, we, we have Job and he's like, man, I've done everything right. Now all of a sudden I've lost everything and, and all my friends are looking at me and they're like, well, dude, you've definitely sinned. And I'm like, but I think I'm praying you, I haven't sinned. And then Job's like, God, what are you doing? Are you good? Do you love me? Right, that's what these two questions, that, that, these are the two questions at the root of why would you let this happen? And hear me. The beauty of rooting wisdom and coloring it with the person and work of Jesus is that God's beautiful response is nothing more than, of course, I love you. And of course, I'm good. Look at the man on the cross. He's all the evidence you need. Well, well God, but... 
But what about this? Man, I took that to the cross in the person of Jesus. Man, but God, like I have, I've been hurt by so many people. I was spit on and hurt in the exact same way. I love you. I took it to the cross for you. But God, all of these things in my life, I, I, I had the deepest and most intimate people in my life like, like curse me and spit on me and turn their back on me. Man, but God, you don't know all the things that I've done. Well, it's, I took, I mean, like literally, I, I do know all the things that you've done, like, like in a very practical way, I've, I've seen all of it. I mean, literally from when you were born, before you were born, all the way until you die, I know the things you haven't done yet. And, and here's the thing, in all of it, I've come to the cross and I've given myself for you. Not for everything else, for you. I've joined in your suffering so that you could join in mine and so that in that you would also join in the life that I give, that you would also join in the hope that I give, that you would also join in the freedom that I give, that only I could get, you could never get, only I could get. But in that life, in that death, in that resurrection, I join you in your suffering so that you could now join me in my life my hope, my love, my freedom. So of course I love you. Man, but God, are you good? Friend, I, that moment that I resurrected, I started a whole campaign for good. The resurrection is the actual event that, that signals the tears will one day meet their end. Why? Because in Jesus, the resurrection displays the power of God to look at sin, to look at pain, to look at tragedy and say, I've defeated that. Because the greatest tragedy, the greatest hardship, the greatest injustice, the greatest reason for all of us to look and say, why would that happen? Why would a completely innocent man who's never done anything wrong in his life in fact, he's only walked around and he's only loved people. He's only cared for people. He's only healed people. He's only corrected people that needed to be corrected. And yet the people around him, they take him, they chain him, they abuse him, they spit on him, they ridicule him, they despise him, they cast him out, they kill him. Why would that happen? So that on the third day, when that glorious sun rises, the declaration, I've defeated it, could be declared. And now the question, are you good, would be answered, yes. In fact, I'm going to show you how good I am. Because in my resurrection, there will be the life and restoration. And now I'm going to bring you into it. And your life is going to be changed. And I'm going to bring you into a group of people. And that group of people, albeit not perfect, are going to be marked by my spirit. And in my spirit, they will now care for you because my spirit will be among you. And as my spirit is among you, what you need to hear from me will more than likely spark up and come out of someone else. And all of a sudden, what they need from me will all of a sudden spark out and come out from you. And you're going to be like, how did that even happen? I don't even have an answer for that. And Jesus is going to be like, that's, that's because that's me at work. Right, that, that's my spirit at work in you because the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead is now alive in you. Am I good? Yes, my whole campaign is for good. The ultimate destination will be good exactly because I'm good and I've now stepped into the story. Friend, wisdom finds its proper place 
in the context of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Because it is only in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus that when we run out of real estate for wisdom, we can rest in Jesus. Hear me again, wisdom only has its proper place when it's in the context, when it's colored, when it's surrounded by the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Because when we run out of real estate, when we don't have any more room to keep going in the space of wisdom, we look to the person of Jesus and go, that's the answer. I can rest in that. That's why a verse like Romans chapter 5 is so powerful and why it's one that we've turned to for centuries over and over and over again to in the church. But God proves his own love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us, right? This resting place where when we get to the end of wisdom and we don't have any more space to ask questions and it feels like we've run out of answers, Jesus is good and he loves me. And here's the thing. This begins to inform how you see the rest of your life. No longer do you presume upon that person that maybe you're interacting with on a relational level, that they've judged you, that they're mean, that they're this, that they're that. Rather, you look at them and think to yourself, man, Jesus died for that person. Man, Jesus died for that person. Even if they are looking at me with the deepest and most evil of intentions, Jesus took the cross so that that thing that they're doing to me right now would be forgiven in him. I just, do you see what I'm saying with that? Like, it, not only does this begin to shape the question of I don't know, putting wisdom in the context of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus gives us freedom from holding people accountable for things they probably have never even done. I want you to hear what I said again, because I think this can be freeing, honestly, freeing for some of you, Putting wisdom in the proper context of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus will probably allow you to free some people of things that they've never even done to you. Why? Because your presumed wisdom told you they had done X, Y, and Z. They hadn't done any of it. And what Jesus desires for you to see in them is not their, 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 uh, their transgressions against you, but rather his grace toward them. And if that transition changes, and hear me, I'm not saying you don't, you don't seek justice. I'm not saying that you stay with an abuser. I'm not saying that you don't see what's wrong and say, hey, this needs to be made right. But when, hear me, when, when wisdom is placed in the context of, of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, in other words, the gospel, that's the only time you'll be able to speak truth and love while you're speaking truth to power, if that makes sense. No other time will you be able to do that. Every other point where you exchange transgression for transgression, pick up your bat, as we talked about at the beginning, and go wail at somebody that you think has hurt you. Only in this context, when it is in the context of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, will you say, I will, I will speak truth to power while still speaking truth and love. Why? Because I recognize that the only difference between you and me is the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus applied to my heart in a way that's changing me, and that's it. That's all. Friends, this right here, uh, I keep on pointing at this verse, but, but the idea of, of wisdom's proper place, right, man, it frees us. No longer is wisdom a 
burden, but when we begin to color wisdom, surround it uh, with the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, when Jesus becomes the thing that we value and that we love, and we're really kind of embracing what it means to be loved by him, not because we deserve it, but because of just how gracious and merciful and loving it is, that begins to shape the questions that we ask, why would you do this? Why does this happen to me? With, yes, no, you are good. You, you, you do love me. And then it begins to free us and shape how we interact with other people. Man, you did this because you see me this way. Man, you did this because you're hurting, but there's one that has come to take your hurt, right? All of a sudden, when wisdom, when this presumption to gain knowledge and to try and find a way to use that knowledge to make your choice about the world or to take action begins to be colored by the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, friend, it's a powerful and freeing thing. My question to you is this, right? Like, like, where do you go to reinforce the gospel, the good news, the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus in your life? Where do you go to reinforce that? Uh, this is a rhetorical question because I'm out of time. If I had a little more time, I, I, I'd invite you to give me an answer. But where do you go for that? There's tons of places. There's tons of places, I know. Can I be honest with you? I already touched on it. The, the one that I would deeply encourage the most is that you would you would implant yourself uh, into a community of people that rigorously, unrelentingly, passionately, and lovingly point you to the man on the cross. That you would find a community of people, that you would entrench yourself into that people, a people that rigorously, unrelentingly, passionately, lovingly point you to the man on the cross. Because left to our own devices, friends, I don't think we get there on our own that often. But with this beautiful host of people surrounding us going, look there. Hey, he hurt you. Man, I'm so sorry, friend. She hurt you. I'm so sorry, friend. But hear me. Man, there's a gracious Savior that loves them, and he's seeking justice for you. Man, let's go to him. Let's ask his spirit to work in our lives and in our minds and in our hearts right now. And let's make a wise choice moving forward. That's wisdom. That's wisdom. Hear me. When you're offended and hurt, I, I promise you, it's much harder to get to that conclusion by yourself. You need a people around you that rigorously, relentlessly, passionately, lovingly point you to the man on the cross. If you don't have that friend, wisdom will take a place that it, it has no business being in. You will hurt other people and you will hurt yourself because wisdom is good, but by itself, it's a burden. It's a burden. Today, my invitation to you, rather than, than kind of having this space where we, uh, like I say, like, hey, I'm going to be over there. You can pray with me. That's, of course, that, of course, still applies. If you have something in your life that you're like, I really need prayer, I will be right there. Uh, and you can come. You can pray with me. I can, you can ask me to pray with you, whatever you want. Um, Here's what I want us to do as we finish up today and as we go into the next section of our service, as we begin to sing and respond to God's word, I would actually much rather you like look to one another and pray for one another. And, and actually, like if, if you see someone that needs prayer or even if you just want to spend a time like actually worshiping in a way that tries to connect with someone else, what do I mean by that? I don't mean you're going to like hold your hands up together, but... But I do mean like, like join in singing or join in worship with someone else. Don't, don't sit by yourself. When you take communion, 
Do it with someone, and hear me, do it with someone that maybe isn't in your household. Do it with someone that if, if you didn't have the person in your household and you had to go form community, you would do it with them, right? Because that's, that's a part of the people that we're talking about here. Does that make sense? To kind of join in as we pursue Jesus together, do it with someone else. Uh, and I'm prayerful and hopeful that it will be an encouraging and impactful time as, as we respond to God's word here. So let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this time together. Thank you, God, that um, while wisdom is a good thing, it can by itself be a burdensome thing. Yet, when we place it into the context of your love and your grace and your mercy, your goodness, your desire and your mission to make things right, Father, wisdom becomes such a powerful tool uh, for us to see you correctly, to see the world correctly, to love you well, to love others well. Father, help us, uh, help us, Father, to pursue you with that type of wisdom. Help us to place our presumptions, to place how we're trying to observe a situation, how we're trying to figure things out, how we're trying to make sense of the world. Let it be flavored and seasoned with the good news of Jesus that gives us compassion and grace and mercy, that fills us with a sense of hope, that reminds us that we're loved and reminds us that the ultimate destination of the broken world that we find ourselves in is one that is redeemed and loved and restored by you because you're good, because you love us. We love you, we thank you, we place this time and our hearts in your hands. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. We hope this message encourages you and strengthens your faith. 